Good morning, church. As uh, Kelly said, we're reading from 2 Kings, chapter 22, verse 1 through 23, 10. You can follow along in your apps or on the Bibles uh, in the church uh, seats in front of you or on the screen behind me. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Saphath, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that he has brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Saphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan and Asiah went to speak to the prophet Haldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Hahas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar 
and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged to themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Molech. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Good job with all the names uh, this morning. There are a couple uh, there, and if we haven't met, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here part-time, and it's really great with my role that takes me around a variety of churches in the network to come here today and see lots of um, uh, faces I don't know and be able to speak uh, (coughs) to people who have joined us uh, in recent weeks. It's really great to have uh, have you with us. And I hope, too, you enjoyed the update uh, from Saltbush. Uh, in Broken Hill. It was really encouraging actually to see uh, a church that really passionate about sharing the gospel and focused in on uh, God's word together and, and loving uh, one another. And we really hope uh, we're trying to plan for next year. Um, we're just trying to find a time that's helpful for them to maybe send a group of 20 or 30 uh, up to help with a kids program or if they're doing a church camp, we could provide some kids leaders and uh, some people to provide food and different things like that be wonderful, I think, to express our partnership in such tangible ways. Well, as I come here today, I know you are uh, well into a series in the book of Two Kings, which I've heard a lot of good things about. Uh, as I tried to kind of get my head into the series, not being here uh, for it, um, I asked uh, Cam all sorts of questions and read some bigger chunks of Two Kings. And Cam's advice to me was to picture yourself as a Jew living in exile by the rivers of Babylon over two and a half millennia ago, with your nation destroyed, and you're sitting down reading what we're reading, two kings, wondering where it all went wrong and if there's any hope for your people. Putting ourselves in the place of the first readers of two kings as much as we can uh, is a great first step in reading the Old Testament well. Uh, So as I did that in the week just gone, Uh, You come across the reign of uh, Hezekiah, who you looked at last week, and as you read uh, these bold statements about Hezekiah, back in 2 Kings 18 verse 5, this one's up on screen, thanks Ella, we read such great things that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, 
the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. It's a fair kind of note uh, to have uh, said of yourself. Then as you read uh, of his choice to trust in God as Assyria besieged the capital, uh, you read of Isaiah's great prophecies of deliverance. Then reading of the mighty hand of God defeating the Assyrians by the rivers of Babylon, your heart would have been warmed by such accounts of God's power and love for his people. Yet as we say goodbye to Hezekiah, rather weirdly, uh, then um, he turns, uh, the kind of camera moves, and it turns to Hezekiah welcoming the rising power of Babylon in, perhaps seeking a strategic alliance. And Isaiah comes and rebukes him and delivers a pretty devastating prophecy that because of this misstep, this lack of trust, God will raise up the nation of Babylon and one day his wealth and people will be plundered by them. To be hard to comprehend, sitting by the rivers of Babylon, that as you read this, that your current suffering and tears was you experiencing God's judgment because of the sins of, people, of the people of God generations ago. You would then have read of Hezekiah's son Manasseh and his reign, leading the people away from the Lord their God. And we read uh, of the people's kind of pretty outrageous sin under his rule with a pretty damning summary. I think this one's up on screen. Thanks, Ella. Uh, We'll see if we get 2 Kings 2.11. Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and as he led Judah into sin with his idols. So not only did we find out that Hezekiah reinstated worship of other gods, he put an idol in the temple of God and brought back practices for which the preceding nations had incurred the furious anger of God. Now, I won't describe the actual process which they used to use uh, to sacrifice children because it kind of turns even the most sturdy of hearts... But we read that Manasseh, chapter 1, verse 6, did it to his own son. So Manasseh is called out as more evil than the nations before that God dispossessed from the land. And so the judgment of God is declared that the point of no return has been reached and God's judgment is coming on his own people. We move through Manasseh's son Amon more quickly with a short reign, but then as we arrive at today's reading, we have a great surprise. We meet Josiah, who is but one of only seven kings of Judah to get the very positive assessment of God in verse 2 of today's reading. Speaking of Josiah, we read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So even just a short summary of recent chapters of Hezekiah, I'm not sure what your reaction is. Mine was, uh, I think, probably quite similar to those who first read it uh, through their tears by the rivers of Babylon. This kind of whiplash effect of kind of bad king, greatest ever king, super evil son king, short-lived bad king, and then great king Josiah. For us, as we read these stories, so many millennia on, we want to understand these stories well, but then, as we always do, ask ourselves the so what question. We're not just learning stories from long ago. 
But we're asking the question, what does this mean for us today? What are we to learn from it? For me, after we've grasped the story and when we ask the kind of so what for us question, I actually think there's much for us to consider. I think it deeply challenges our reverence or lack of for the Word of God today. I think it actually probes our heart with deep questions on what motivates us in our obedience to God. We can ask the kind of timeless questions of why are the people of God so fragile in their devotion to the God who loves them? And if you're here thinking through who Jesus is for the first time, or exploring, exploring Jesus in church for the first time in a while, um, such uh, stories, I think, pose deep challenges to our worldview of whom God is, who, of whom uh, Christians proclaim God to be, what our deepest problems in our world are, and what precious remedies does God offer. So with those kind of questions in mind, it'd be great to have your Bible open. Uh, I won't have all the verses up on the screen now. You'll find our passage in 2 Kings 22 on page 511 of the Blue Bibles and feel free to read along on your apps and devices too. And because there's a bit there today, structure-wise, we'll understand a section, pose some questions for us to consider as we move through. Uh, you'll see in the sermon outline, uh, I've called this sermon a reformation of the heart and I've broken it down into three sections. And the first is treasuring the Word of God from verses 1 to 10. Because as our story begins of Josiah's reign, in verse 3, we read that Josiah's a reformer of the nation and he's already got a temple renovation project going on. And without uh, high pages, Scotty Cam, judges and a film crew recording it all, Josiah is still talk of the town as Jerusalem watches this great renovation process. He's getting, we read in our story that he's getting his uh, builders and his tradies in order. He's choosing his stone bench tops and the wood for the right finishes and look, taking deliveries. And unexpectedly, uh, news arrives that site supervisor, Hilkiah, has found something unexpected during the reno. It's usually when they cut to an ad break uh, in the stories. And he comes to his business manager, Shaphan, verse 8, and says, I have found the book of the law, in the temple of the Lord. Uh, which at this stage in world history would have at least been a record of Moses' sermons and teachings that we read in Deuteronomy today. Shaphan, of course, reads it himself. Uh, he then heads to the king, gives a quick uh, site and project update uh, in verse 9, and then we read verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And a realisation dawns on us that part of this kind of whiplash that we've experienced with all the kings and the poor spiritual state of the nation uh, under Josiah's dad and grandfather comes down to the word of God disappearing from public life sometime under the long 55-year reign of Manasseh. And given we're into Josiah's reign, 18 years at this point, and Amon reigned for two, God's word could have been absent from his people up to 75 years in Judah. And we can sometimes think back with a little bit of uh, kind of historical and intellectual snobbery and think, how could that be so stupid? <laughs> Yet the word of God receding from church life, sadly, has happened many times in history. Um, 
you know, the 18th, take 18th century England, we sort of think, oh, there's the Reformation, things have gone pretty well since then. Not really. 18th century England, the church was in a lamentable state and society had many uh, uh, woes as well. England was actually in a real mess. And into such bleak times, God brought the cross-focused, Christ-proclaiming preachers of the evangelical revival, fanning churches into flame. And Christians, with their hearts gripped by Jesus, they transform society with grace to their neighbours. Godly lives leading them to serve in the filthiest of prisons, leading the nation's conversations and eventually abolishing the slave trade. Now, you think for us, well, for our part, we're never likely to lack access to a Bible here in Australia, either in print or on the web or on an app on every device that you own. Yet as I reflected on this passage and thought the so what for us question today, I think our generation's challenge is that we're actually in grave danger of losing the Word of God amongst the information overload in which we live. And it become important to us, but just a, you know, another source of information amongst many. And as our brains kind of get tuned into either being entertained by five-minute videos on our socials or deep-dive podcasts... Uh, you know, 24-hour news channels and seasons of our favourite TV shows dropped all at once so we can binge on them. I suspect churches like ours who pride ourselves on our commitment to God's Word can run for a while on the fumes of our biblical convictions, yet at a personal level actually have a fairly low level of commitment to knowing God's Word well. I think it's really important for us to think that of all the information that we consume, what's happening right now is different to all of them. This is not one information source amongst many, it's something else entirely. The creator of the world who loves us, who gives us every breath that we have, is speaking to us through his word. God is sharing the story of how he relates to his people and created a people to be his very own and records these stories for us to learn from for our lives today. God's word is not one information source amongst many. It's powerful and effective for shaping and changing us, framing our day's dilemmas and our joys. So whether it's a daily reading guide, a devotional, an audio Bible in the car or on the train, I want to encourage us to be people of the Word who let God's Word go to work on our heart. As you listen, you know, I listen to sermons as I'm driving around and things like that, I have to remember this is not just an interesting podcast amongst, you know, F1 and BBC World News and things like that. This is the Word of God being proclaimed to us to shape our hearts. It's something else entirely from all the other information that we consume. So for me, I find, you know, just because I've got a theology degree doesn't mean I find it uh, easy. I have to keep mixing things up in life. I'm currently really enjoying New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp as a devotional guide if you're looking for something new. But better yet, I would encourage uh, those of us of uh, the younger generations 
to ask the older generations who have been following Jesus for, you know, decades now, what they've done to get the Word of God into their lives, to be shaped by that, as people who've grown up following Jesus through very different times. I think losing the Word of God in Christian life takes many forms, and each generation will have its challenges. Yet rediscovery of the power of God's Word not only changes us as a people, but our witness and our impact to the world. As Josiah heard the word of the Lord for the first time, as Shaphan read it, he tore his robes in distress as he heard God's word preached through Moses' sermon series in Deuteronomy. So I want to give you a bit of a a challenge for today. I put it before you to put yourself in Josiah's shoes before bedtime tonight and try read Deuteronomy 28. So if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 28. Try and read it before bedtime today and imagine being Josiah hearing it for the first time of the many blessings promised by God if they obeyed and then as it kind of turns to the curses, imagine how much his heart must have sunk when he read the curses God's promised that would come upon the nation if they did not. I think you'll actually find it's a pretty difficult task for the heart to get right way through the chapter. For Josiah, he was desperate to discern the nation's position, so he puts together a five-man delegation to seek out a prophet, verse 13, again in your Bibles. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book has been found as he's just heard what I just described. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Josiah is humble and attentive to the word of God and cut to the heart. He was keen to hear a prophetic word, yet as they go to the prophet Huldah, her words confirm Josiah's worst fears. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster on this place. Sorry, this one's not up on screen. Uh, This is what uh, the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Josiah was a great king, but a great king come too late. The point of no return had been passed, and only God's wrath awaited the nation. Simple enough to say, but I want to ask you, how does that make you feel amongst the busyness of the week just gone, As you break for just a moment from your list of hopes, the anxieties that drive you in the weeks or months ahead, to consider for just a moment that God, the creator of all things, does get to a point where he will close what is currently an open door. We have the great privilege today of living in a time of salvation, this side the cross of Christ, where his death on the cross for our sins means that anyone from 
anywhere can come and receive God's grace and take a place in God's family forever. From this world to the next, with great joy, receiving blessings that will never be revoked. Yet, God has a date in his diary where that open door will close and only wrath will await those who have not found their way to Christ. For the Christians here today, God's word does provide a necessary jolt to the heart, doesn't it? On the mission God has given us. Such a joy actually to sit there this morning and just hear of the different groups and teams of people just putting together different uh, events for newcomers to come along to, to invite our friends along to lawn bowls or food that takes me home. That's this Tuesday night. I actually asked our church to pray for two people to come along to food that takes me home and they're both coming uh, this Tuesday night, which is a great joy. It's actually you know, it's that kind of movement from believing something in our heads to action actually comes from getting some pretty serious jolts like we do in Two Kings today. And really, so I would encourage you, uh, in God's kindness, having so many different ways to respond and, you know, the weeks and months ahead as we plan for Christmas and carols, to be reminded of what is currently an open door for anyone anywhere to find salvation will one day close. And if you're here today considering who Jesus is and will not yet call yourself one of his, please don't let this moment pass. Please don't go, well, oh, well, I don't like the sound of that. I'll go find someone who will tell me happier things. If this is true, which Christians believe it is, do at least kind of tick the I'd like to find out more about Jesus box on the response card today and we'll give you a call this week and work out what is next because that's why we start new churches like this and why we're passionate about preaching all of the word of God, not just the friendly encouraging bits but working through the challenging bits as well. For, for Josiah in his time, curiously, his humble and responsive heart did bring you know, God said, my wrath's still going to fall on the nation, but his responsive heart did bring the blessing from God that he wouldn't leave, live sorry, to see such times. He wouldn't live to see the destruction of the nation that God has put his name to. Yet it only delayed the judgment of God on his own people, which I think makes what Josiah did next all the more surprising, knowing that the destruction of the nation could not be averted. Josiah didn't kind of lament his days away or pass his time with the world comforts, nor did he descend into sin's distractions. We read in chapter 23 that he gathered the nation to the capital, all the people from the least to the greatest, and read to them the book of the covenant and pledged renewed obedience to it. And the people followed suit and they pledged their obedience to it as well. And as a result, reform swept the nations. Idols were removed from the temple and burned in the fields. Idolatrous priests were killed. The places of temple prostitution torn down. And the people, the places where people sacrificed their own children to these false gods were destroyed. So imagine, you know, kind of looking out across the nation, a reddening sky from the many pillars of smoke as all these places were put to the flame. 
as we read uh, verse 16 of chapter 23. This is beyond our reading today, and this one is uh, up on screen. Where we read, Then Josiah looked around against this stark backdrop, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. Now, when I read things like that in the Bible, I don't automatically know what they're meaning, but you know, you set me aside to delve into these uh, things. And it's actually a curious reference back hundreds of years earlier that we read of in 1 Kings 13, as a prophet cried out before this altar, before another king. It's up on the screen, I'll read it to you. By the word of the Lord, this hundreds of years before, by the word of the Lord, this man of God cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. Which is a pretty powerful reminder, both then and now, when God says he'll do something, you can trust his word. And Josiah did as the prophet predicted. He struck down the idolatrous priests and burned their bones upon the altar. And after the ashes, Josiah gave an order to celebrate the Passover, remembering God's great rescue of his people from Egypt, a celebration that hadn't happened for generations. And we read of Josiah that no one had ever turned so wholeheartedly to the Lord. Yet again, beyond our reading, here comes the real push of this story into our hearts. Verse 26, we'll pop it up on screen. That after all of this, this wholehearted transformation, Passover, burning of things, we read, verse 26, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. Now, Josiah knew his actions would not kind of sidestep God's anger for the nation, yet he turned to God wholeheartedly. And as one of my favourite authors put it, he said, obedience without incentive is likely genuine. Which I think, and I've used that sort of question to examine uh, my heart's motivations and I want to encourage it to, uh, to kind of examine yours. I think, you know, from time to time in the Christian life, we've got to ask ourselves, have we simply become a little bit transactional with the God of the universe? Or do we love him from the heart and humble ourselves before his word. Now, by transactional, could we describe our heart's motivation as, I get the sin problem, Jesus offers grace and eternity to me, so I follow him, come to church as often as I feel like, so I can tick the boxes. Is that the kind of motivation of the heart that drives us to be here this morning? To get the reward we're after? The afterlife insurance policy so we can then go back to life and keep as much of it for us as we can? Or do we see that there's actually beauty and truth in the ways of God? Do we love his character? Do we love him for his grace towards us? 
Do we come to his word trembling and longing to know and to obey him? Just because of who God is. Do we grasp there's real wisdom to be found in hearing the word of God and obeying it? As Jesus said so clearly in Matthew 7.24, I put this one in your leaflets and it's also up on screen. As Jesus said quite famously, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I want to ask you a question that only you can answer about you. Have you found yourself becoming a little transactional with God, a little minimalistic? Which I'd have to say from my experience, I think happens to most of us at points. If it has, let Josiah's story prompt you to set out on a reformation of the heart, coming back to God's word, longing to know him and to obey him. We live in very different times to King Josiah. We live the other side of the cross of Christ. Yet much is the same, yet the differences are noteworthy and good for the heart. As Josiah's life was prophesied many hundreds of years in advance, so was the life and works of our King Jesus. God always keeps his word. Like in Josiah's time, God's judgment has been declared and cannot be averted. And as much as it is right and good to obey God from the heart, no amount of reform we can bring to this world will save it. Yet the amazing difference between Josiah's time and ours is that our King Jesus is eternal. His reign will never end and we need not fear him passing on his rule to another who is less worthy. The fickleness of God's people and the fragility of local churches can be avoided by binding ourselves from the heart to Jesus and his word rather than just sort of seeing this as one of but many things you do this week and just sort of rather casually just letting me interpret the Bible for you. Dive into the Word, get to know God because of who He is, because of His goodness. We can actually hand on to the next generation a love of God's Word shown and modelled by parents and the whole community across all the generations, binding ourselves to a King who holds out an offer of grace to any and every person on the planet through his church here on earth today. Because we know and live with the constant reminder that there will come a day when God's promised judgment will come. So in the meantime, what kind of people does God call us to be? Well, firstly, people who tremble at his word, who don't come simply to consume information at church, just like we do as we listen to a podcast or read a new book, but as people longing to know God and put his word into practice, to obey God not out of duty, not simply transactionally to secure God's many blessings, but out of love, as Jesus so memorably put it to his disciples 
If you love me, keep my commands. I will close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the jolt that two kings is to us and as we suffer the whiplash of seeing the different kings and the different trials and tribulations and self-inflicted wounds of the people of God. Uh, We pray for uh, our church in this time uh, that we might really treasure your word to us and see it as something entirely different to all the other information that is endlessly on tap for us. That we might know and see and feel deeply in the heart your goodness. That we might love you for your grace shown to us. That we might love our world and passionately commit uh, to sharing this good news of who Jesus is, his life, death and resurrection, and that salvation can be found from your coming wrath and a place of eternity. Uh, We can find, uh, because of what Jesus has done, that anyone can uh, inherit the status of child of God and be part of your family forever. Please help us who already follow you to treasure these great truths and to treasure this deep in our heart. Might it shape everything we do. And we pray that uh, those here today and many whom we haven't met yet that don't currently consider themselves followers of you might have the great blessing of finding uh, that you and your kindness bring them a faithful messenger of the gospel, this good news about Jesus. Please empower and equip uh, your uh, church here at Trinity Church Tonsley to step out boldly in faith and please provide for us many spirit-given opportunities Uh, to share just how wonderful a God you are and just how certain and sure and joyous hope we can have uh, in Christ. And it's in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.